One of our most visited national parks averages more than a half million people in the summer every month who flock to see the massive sandstone cliffs of cream, pink, and red that soar into a brilliant blue sky. Its main feature, a glorious canyon carved partially by an unassuming yet powerful river. I'm Jason Epperson, and on today's episode, Zion National Park and one of its creators, the Virgin River. Zion National Park is located along the edge of a region known as the Colorado Plateau. The rock layers have been uplifted, tilted, and eroded, forming a feature called the Grand Staircase. It's a series of colorful cliffs stretching between Bryce Canyon and the Grand Canyon. The bottom layer of rock at Bryce Canyon is the top layer at Zion, and the bottom layer at Zion is the top layer at the Grand Canyon. Zion was a relatively flat basin near sea level 240 million years ago. As sands, gravels, and muds eroded from surrounding mountains, streams carried these materials into the basin and deposited them in layers. The sheer weight of these accumulated layers caused the basin to sink so that the top surface always remained near sea level. As the land rose and fell as the climate changed, the environment fluctuated from shallow seas to coastal plains to a desert of massive windblown sand. This process of sedimentation continued until over 10,000 feet of material accumulated. Then mineral-laden waters slowly filtered through the compact sediments. Iron oxide, calcium carbonate, and silica acted as cementing agents. And with pressure from above, over long periods of time, they transformed the deposits into stone. Ancient seabeds became limestone. Mud and clay became mudstones and shale, and desert sand became sandstone. Each layer originated from a distinct source and so differs in thickness, mineral content, color, and eroded appearance. From Zion to the Rocky Mountains, forces deep within the earth started to push the surface up. This wasn't a chaotic uplift, but a very slow vertical hoisting of huge blocks of the crust. Zion's elevation rose from near sea level to as high as 10,000 feet above sea level. This uplift gave the streams greater cutting force in their descent to the sea. Zion's location on the western edge of this uplift caused the streams to tumble off the plateau, flowing rapidly down a steep gradient. A fast-moving stream carries more sediment and larger boulders than a slow-moving river. These streams began eroding and cutting into the rock layers, forming deep and narrow canyons. Since the uplift began, the North Fork of the Virgin River has carried away several thousand feet of rock that once set above the highest layers visible today. The Virgin River is still excavating. Upstream of an area called the Temple of Sinawava, the river cuts through Navajo sandstone, creating a slot canyon. At the temple, the river has reached the softer Kayenta formation below. Water erodes the shale, undermining the overlaying sandstone and causing it to collapse, widening the canyon. 
One of the most popular areas of Zion National Park is where this transition happens. Everyday visitors walk the paved Riverwalk Trail, while the more adventurous head upstream, hiking through the water of the Narrows. Here, geology is constantly in motion. To unlock the hidden geologic mysteries of Riverstones, here is Park Ranger Robin Hampton as she reads an article written by Ranger Barb Graves for the park's Nature Notes. The Secret Life of River Stones. Hiking Wildcat Canyon to Right Fork of North Creek, my ranger friend John raises a finger to his lips, signaling silence. Stopping abruptly, I scan the broad expanse of Navajo sandstone dotted with fist-sized iron concretions like a red-spotted toad's raised nubs. Following John's line of sight, I search for the anticipated animal. Mountain lion? Rare bird? Perhaps bobcat? If you're very quiet and they think you aren't looking, whispers John, you can see them moving around and hear them talking to each other. Humored, I realized John's mystery animal was not a rare species, but the abundant tribe of round iron concretions dotting the landscape before us. I could easily imagine them, carrying on a bustle of activity until our human presence rendered them silent and still. All stones, although not alive, are a foundation of life. Aldo Leopold wrote in a Sand County almanac, Land, then, is not merely soil. It is a fountain of energy flowing through a circuit of soils, plants, and animals. Stones lining Zion's Virgin River remind me of this fountain of energy and the circuit of life created by their many minerals. Along the Virgin, point bars and shoreline deposits reveal stones ranging from tiny pebbles to bowling ball-sized cobbles. All these stones share some of life's building blocks, mainly oxides and minerals, whose elements bond together in unique combinations. Concretions form when water dissolves and precipitates minerals from Navajo sandstone, coating the inner surface of air pockets, resulting in an iron marble impregnated in stone. Over time, less resistant sandstone erodes, leaving a carpet of loose, round, dark nodules. Erosion transports many concretions and other loose stones down slopes into tributaries, and finally on a ride down the Virgin River. Stonecombing, like beachcombing, is a discovery tour where sandstones, conglomerates, limestones, and metamorphic rocks splash the riverbed with diverse color, pattern, and texture. Mineral compositions provide a glimpse of geologic, climatic, and life forces in action when each rock was deposited. Rambling the Virgin River at Big Bend, looking at the Sea of Stones, it's easy to enter a hidden doorway to the past, like coming across a centuries-old photo album buried in the attic and spending an afternoon immersed in lives of another time. 
At Zion, another time is exactly what stones reveal. From the Mesozoic's 240 million year old Moenkopi formation to recent Cretaceous lava flows, Virgin River stones derive from a smorgasbord of paleo environments. I imagine the original setting of each stone a wide, shallow sea bustling with fossil oysters, a vast desert with hot sand fiercely blown, an oasis of tiny plants and massive dinosaurs on the verge of extinction, a forest of early evergreens destined for petrification, or lava glowing red as steam jets hiss. During creation of Zion's lava point, Vents and cinder cones spewed lava at more than 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, eroded downhill over thousands of years. Most Virgin River lava stones look like black sponges, full of pits and holes, evidence of hot gases escaping as hot rock met cool air. Black lava rocks more resistant to the river's erosional forces than weaker sandstones, are abundant in the riverscape, even though the massive Navajo sandstone far outweighs lava in the surrounding landscape. When sandstone chunks entered the river rock tumbler from overhanging cliffs, chemical and physical processes dissolved the glue, primarily iron oxide and calcium carbonate, that fills spaces between sand grains. The river's tumbling action smooths jagged rocks to rounded stones. As stones wear, minerals are released, beginning again the cycle of creating soil, and the circuit of energy continues. If you stop along the virgin's stonescape and are silent for a moment, you might hear particles of newly emerging soil giggling with joy. Barb Graves. If you've spent any time on the Riverwalk Trail, then you've certainly met the unofficial park mascot, the rock squirrel. In their home, animals like the rock squirrel encounter an overabundance of human contact on a daily basis. Having been on the Riverwalk Trail a few times myself, I can tell you the rock squirrel is the king of the castle here. If you even consider taking out that Nature Valley bar, they will come and take it from you. They also have zero issues rooting through your bag if you set it down on the ground. You'll often see people snapping pics and ooing and aahing over these cute little squirrels. But in this next audio clip, narrated again by Ranger Robin Hampton from an article written for the Parks Nature Notes, we learn a bit more about this misunderstood rodent. Zion's Misunderstood Rodents. The visitor pointed to my photograph of the hand with the nasty bite and stitches. What is that? he asked. A rock squirrel, I replied, pointing to a photograph of a chubby-looking rodent with big brown eyes. I've seen them a lot on this trail, the visitor continued. That's why we show these photos as part of the River Rendezvous program, I explained. Some people feed and even try to pet the rock squirrels here, 
and we want them to know that's dangerous. It's not good for the rock squirrels, either. I had set up my photographs on a bench about three-quarters of the way up the one-mile riverside walk. It faced a sandy alcove, tucked back against towering cliffs of Navajo sandstone. Behind the bench, the Virgin River tumbled, sounding unusually loud as it echoed between narrowing canyon walls. For the next hour and a half, I would be answering visitor questions and talking about the plants and wildlife they might encounter. One of the most commonly observed animals along the trail is the rock squirrel. The Riverside Walk offers ideal rock squirrel habitat. They prefer rocky locations including cliffs, canyon walls, and boulder piles. They dig burrows and raise their babies under large rocks, and they use rocks as lookout points. Classified as ground squirrels, they can climb trees almost as well as tree squirrels and will forage and seek shelter high on limbs and branches as well as on the ground. Less than 15 minutes into my program, I noticed a rock squirrel digging in the sand next to my bench. With its sharp front claws, it unearthed a round, dark object, then suddenly leaped onto one edge of the bench. There it sat, rapidly twirling the object in its paws while gnawing. Visitors were now gathering to watch and photograph the squirrel. Apparently quite unalarmed by the attention it was getting as it ate, it seemed to exemplify the words visitors frequently use to describe it. Cute, tame, friendly. Although rock squirrels may be cute, they are anything but tame and friendly. Their apparent friendliness is actually a lack of fear of humans and a desire to secure food. Their sharp, chisel-like incisors are capable of slicing through barriers, including human skin, in a matter of seconds, and are well adapted for their incredibly varied natural diet, which includes vegetation, flowers, acorns, pinion pine nuts, cactus and cactus fruit, berries, and roots and tubers. Rock squirrels also eat invertebrates, such as beetles and grasshoppers. They will even hunt and kill small rodents and birds, even young wild turkeys, and eat carrion. Against one predator, the western diamondback rattlesnake, rock squirrels have developed a formidable defense. In a behavior that is called mobbing, the squirrel will lunge forward repeatedly and wave its tail from side to side, kicking sand and rocks at the snake's head. It will even bite the snake if it gets the opportunity. If a squirrel gets bitten, it may not be affected. Adult rock squirrels have evolved the capacity to at least partially neutralize the venom. Even more remarkably, recent research indicates that rock squirrels may apply snake scent to their bodies to camouflage their own scent. This may be especially important in the young, who have not yet developed resistance to the snake's deadly bite. It is easy for us to misunderstand the rock squirrel as we stroll along the riverside walk, 
glimpsing only a brief moment in its daily drama of survival. The often harsh realities of life in Zion forces it to forage, hunt, raise babies, and defend itself and them from enemies in a struggle often far removed from human view. We can help by respecting and not interfering with its skills and status as a wild creature. Amy Gamier Perhaps a bit of that will keep you from putting your finger near a rock squirrel. The Virgin River winds through the park and beyond into the gateway town of Springdale, where you can find all sorts of lodging and dining options for a visit to Zion. There are two campgrounds in the park, the Watchman, which has electric and water and can accommodate large RVs. It's reservable six months in advance. And the neighboring South Campground, which features primitive sites and can be reserved up to two weeks in advance. The spectacular Virgin River flows right through both campgrounds. It's best to stay in the park if you can, because the parking lot fills nearly every day, and you can't just drive through the canyon. You have to take the park shuttle system. If you do stay outside, there's another shuttle that runs through the town of Springdale, but you'll have to pay about $20 to park on the town's side streets. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson. Narration from this show comes from park ranger Robin Hampton from the park's audio casts, which we'll link to in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, we love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen over at our new See America podcast, wherever you listen to this one. If you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is my land from California. To the New York Island From the Redwood Forest To the Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. <laughs>